When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you were in New York this time last year, this is the sound that is seared into your brain. This was our COVID soundtrack. It's what made COVID feel so much more real here than in other parts of the country. In other places, they consumed news reports that felt distant, felt other, felt unreal. Here in New York, in this city, reality rang in our ears at all hours. The city is like vibrating with fear. That's Allison Buckingham. She co-owns an organic grocery store in Brooklyn Heights, Paralandra Natural Foods. I spoke with her on April 4th of 2020. At Paralandra, she had a front row seat to fear. Fear that started a month earlier. Suddenly, I mean, it was just crazy. It was just crazy for like two weeks and we could not keep up. We could not keep up. I mean, it was very dramatic and it was very, very quick. And it was all, you know, tomato, pasta sauces. I still can't get a lot of pasta sauces. Pasta sauces, pasta all of our cleaners, the entire cleaning section. I'm like, why toilet cleaner? You know, like why, why dish detergent? Like why, you know, dishwashing tablets, you know, the things we sold out of immediately. Our entire cleaning section was basically empty. Our entire bread section, um, you know, canned goods. People were going crazy in our bulk room. It may be hard to remember now, but there was a time when grocery store shelves were empty. When we were all stocking up on pasta and rice and beans and other non-perishables, for me, there were lots of tins of seafood, mussels and oysters and mackerel. On March 16th of 2020, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo shut down on-premise dining in the state. If you were going to eat restaurant food, it was going to be in your living room. Going out in any form was about to become something you just didn't want to do. When you're in New York City and no one cooks, and you shut down a bodega that is, or bodega or deli or your corner neighborhood restaurant that you rely on to go to, you like, it's not like anymore where like it's a luxury to eat out. It's just how you, it's how it's how you live because New York City isn't built for you to eat in. You're not. It's not built. You know these apartments aren't built for you to like cook a meal, cook three square meals a day at your place. They're not, especially if you have a family. On March 16th, 2020, there were two reported COVID-19 deaths in New York City. It was the trepidation before the tragedy. A little over three weeks later, on April 8th of 2020, 810 people died of COVID in New York City, which was now the pandemic's global epicenter. Intensive care units were maxed out and makeshift morgues sprung up outside hospitals, trailers holding corpses. 
When you heard those sirens and you heard them at all hours, you wondered, did COVID get another one? We also wondered what else COVID would get. What would be left of our city, our state, when this was over? Wait until the restaurant that you loved and the restaurants you love turn into the blockbuster you used to love. Wait, wait until it turns into that. In this, chapter two of the Hot Takes on a Plate series 86, how a global pandemic rocked the world's culinary capital. See how New York restaurants faced their fears head on with two words that have become seared into anyone who works in the hospitality industry's brain, adapt and pivot. So many people travel to New York City for one reason alone, just to, to dine, you know, and they have a bucket list of all these restaurants. And usually they're ones that they keep going back to. And there's going to be a handful of ones that they haven't heard of or and there's going to be ones that they're dying to go to that they haven't been to yet. It's a whole culture of people that uh, appreciate food. And it is the you know center of the universe, uh, regardless of if we're talking about restaurants or <laughs> pretty much anything else. But uh, yeah, I mean, to have that, that plug pulled, uh, in, it, it's, it's incredible. That's Andy Nusser, executive chef and co-owner of three restaurants with Joe Bastianich, the most famous of those being Casa Mono a Michelin-starred Spanish tapas favorite near Manhattan's Union Square. For Casa Mono, there was no adapt and pivot. As Andy told me on June 8th of 2020, the restaurant temporarily closed its doors that March 16th, opting not to solely do takeout and delivery, choosing instead to wait until they could serve diners at the restaurant once again. In those early days, Andy didn't know when that would be. So what did he do with his time? doom scroll and binge tiger king like the rest of us no what did i do i i didn't really sleep and i still don't i mean even this morning i got up at five and uh so i i feel that you know everyone was just you know racing around in their minds trying to figure out what to do um and then it became apparent that you know sheltering in place was uh you know paying off uh people were getting a little more uh interested in uh you know about okay, let's leave our room. Uh, and uh, I, I would go to the different restaurants because I would shelter in place by myself and, you know, clean the grease trap and, you know, get, get some really gross corner of the, of the restaurant that hasn't been touched for 10 years. Did a lot of that. So you, you made an interesting comment there about how you were kind of sheltering in place in your restaurant. So kind of paint a picture for me, like you were showing up to, to, to work and you're the only one there, just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to wear a mask. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get a lot of things done that should be done. Uh, you know, things about restaurants when you're open every day for lunch and dinner, it's really difficult to, to uh, you know, clean it as much as you want to. And as an owner, you're the one that sees everything. Uh, maybe other people don't, but I do. So all of those uh, nooks and crannies are, uh, are spotless. So, uh, you know, it was uh, yeah, cathartic, and, uh, uh, but it also rewarding to have that downtime to actually, you know, clean. 
but like it, it almost feels like tell me if i'm wrong but like i'm picturing this like you know because obviously this has been a very down time for people and it's been Ugh. very depressing and and, and, and it's been like sort of like there's this sort of death talk around the industry and i'm like picturing you going to your restaurant solo and doing that it almost feels like when 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 somebody loses a parent and they have to go to the house and kind of kind of clean out the attic and figure out what's going on and go through boxes did it have any feeling like that like what well you know it's odd that you say that because i've had that in living life i mean i mean i've moved from one location to the other almost and sold everything that i owned and then moved from you know california to new york and so to that whole sense of feeling uh, i've had in it but to apply it to this situation uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, your your whole mind is, is a whole collection of thoughts and depression is definitely in there and, and, and a lot of like, well, what's going to happen to me and can I pay my mortgage and, you know, uh, all of those, you know, worrisome things um, is, it's, it's a real <laughs> frightening situation. So all you really want to do is get back to what you know, which is working in a restaurant. So to, to answer your question about the, oh, I would, PTSD, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I did online therapy. I would do anything uh, just because I really thought that I was losing it. Yeah. And at the time, I was running. I was like, all right, I'll do delivery. Um, because we still, you know, it kind of crept up on us. We didn't. We weren't set up for Uber Eats. We weren't set up for Grubhub, and doing the delivery service. But we had to make that pivot real quick if we wanted to. We didn't want to lay off any more people. So you were out there doing deliveries yourself. If you called the restaurant and asked for delivery, I was the one who put who bag who dropped it off your doorstep. While Andy Nusser was alone in his restaurants, Dale Taldy was part of a skeleton crew at his Goose Feather restaurant in Westchester County. Goose Feather went from 49 employees to just five when I spoke with the Top Chef star on April 15th, 2020. I did delivery for about two and a half, three weeks until um, a colleague of mine passed away. And that was really a wake up call to like, yo, stop. This isn't, you know, it's not worth it. You're, you're putting yourself on the line. Even going, being out in public like this, it just wasn't worth it. You know, being as safe as I was, my hands were chapped with like straight using sanitizer and, you know, uh, sanitizing my entire car and my my hands and before I came in, you know, washing my hands every time I came in and out the restaurant, wearing a mask, doing the whole thing. It just, um, it just became a point where I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to put my family at risk. That colleague Dale's referring to, Floyd Cardoz, an integral part of New York City's culinary landscape, the Mumbai native was arguably America's most well-known chef of Indian descent, a trailblazer, most famous for his Indian fine dining restaurant, Tabla, that he ran with Danny Meyer and Union Square Hospitality Group from 1998 to 2010. Floyd had been hospitalized in early March after a trip to India. He was diagnosed with COVID-19 on March 18th and passed away just one week later, on March 25th, 2020. Floyd was 59 years old. It was news that shook the restaurant industry. To know that that person and his family, he's not here anymore, and that his family is going through some serious suffering. He has teenage boys, you know? He has adults, he has 
it's way too soon for someone like him to be passed to, to pass away. I am a mother with two young children at home. Um, one of my employees lived with an immunocompromised family member. Um, everyone started to get very scared, and so um, I was considering shutting down. That's Joanna Prisco. Like Dale, she was steering a new business through this COVID storm. Joanna opened the Goodwitch Coffee Bar at the Hastings-on-Hudson Metro North train station in suburban Westchester County, less than five miles from Dale's Goosefeather restaurant, in January of 2020. I spoke with Joanna on May 5th of 2020. I shut down. The following Sunday, Cuomo declared the, um, the New York pause order. And the day after that, the MTA invoiced me for my full April rent. And I thought, okay, so now I'm going to be completely closed to the public, but somehow I have to still maintain this gross overhead. And I had been doing damage control, you know, reaching out to utilities companies, um, leasing companies, anyone that I do business. Basically, you're constantly pivoting. You're constantly trying to adapt to new information and, and what's happening around you, looking at other businesses, wondering if, you know, if I can do what they're doing in some way. Uh, it's only me, or at that point, it was only me and, and two employees running the cafe. Um, so I decided that I was going to reopen, but just once a week on Saturdays for limited hours and a limited menu um, for curbside pickup and takeout. That was what I felt comfortable with from a health and safety uh, perspective, but also, I mean, it's what's feasible when all of a sudden you don't have school or childcare um, happening in your life. And, and when I don't feel safe necessarily having my children in the space around other people. Um, so, so that was what I pivoted to um, in that moment. It almost, in hearing you describe it, the image that comes into my head is like one of those cartoons where there's like a boat and there's holes in the boat and it's starting to drown and they're, they're trying to plug the holes, but it's like every time one hole gets plugged, another one opens. Like, does it feel that way? Yes. Um, that is a, that's a, an apt description. I just felt like I was trying to dodge bullets. Like every time, like I thought, okay, we're going to hunker down um, and just regroup and maybe I can do online orders and deliver coffee beans around town for the time being. But truly when you pay $3,500 in a month, uh, a month for rent, you know, that wasn't going to save the farm. So I decided to try and, and adapt and do the, um, the curbside pickup on Saturdays because in part um, our local Hastings farmer's market had also relocated to the train stand park train station parking lot on Saturdays. And I felt like um, I was adapting more to people's changing habits given the crisis. People aren't necessarily going out and being social and you know going to cafes, but they are making a very specific trip out to get items for the week or maybe get a treat for themselves on the weekends because they feel like they survived one more week you know, in self-isolation. So that was the idea behind that. And obviously everybody's pivoting because they're trying to save their businesses. But one of the things that keeps coming up in my head is you didn't open this because you wanted to just 
here's some coffee, take, take this, this, this thing, or, or, or here's a, a bagel, just take my bagel. You opened it because it's, it's a community thing. You're building a sense of community. You're having events, you're having people come in. There's this, you're, 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 you're part of the fabric of Hastings on Hudson. So without that part of the experience, like what are you left with? Yeah, it's, I mean, in, yeah, it's sad. It's, um, it's, when you're interacting with people wearing a mask um, and, and handing things off in their, their trunk of their car or the footwell and, and sort of waving to them with your disposable glove, I mean, the whole thing feels awkward. There is uh, a, a very specific energy associated with it because everybody's a little bit tense and that's dissipated as weeks go on because it's becoming more the new normal. But, um, I mean, immediately there's a barrier to communication, right? There's a physical one. And then there's just this elephant in the room that's kind of like, we are, we are all doing this because of, um, you know, a, a health concern, a public health concern. So, um, yeah, it's, it's t the total antithesis of the space that I aim to create. You know, people were, had begun to make reservations um, for bridal brunches here and and other family gatherings and I just wonder you know if that will ever be the case <laughs> in the certainly in the near term but I mean I I think it's there's so many unknowns right now as far as how things are going to to change following this and um, without any real um, vaccine I just I don't know That feeling of loss of space, loss of human connection, loss of hospitality was a through line in so many of my conversations. We're a restaurant and, you know, restaurants are about bringing people together. And, you know, the fact that we're just, you know, we're, we're basically a slave to, the, to the, the, the ordering system. And like, there's no, there's no like customer to employee relation, like uh, relationship. You know, we can't see people like enjoying the food, having conversations in the restaurant and really enjoying themselves. And, and that, that's, that really is a pain as a restaurateur. That's Wilson Tang of Nam Wah Tea Parlor, Chinatown's oldest restaurant. I spoke with him on April 13th, 2020. Restaurants are social places and this is no longer social. And that's my friend Sheena Garcia on March 29th, 2020. She runs Mariachi Mexico with her family in Westchester County. I now have a table right by my podium where it's sort of, it's a marker where it's just like, please don't come any further. You know, I have a sign up, please don't touch the door. You know, we have curbside. I mean, I'm, I'm going out there and delivering food to customers with a mask on and gloves. And I mean, it is, it's, it's something so foreign. It no longer becomes like that friendly, you know, sort of like, welcome to my environment. Like, this is my home and I want you to enjoy it, you know? Right now I'm, I'm like, Uber Tang, you know, I just drive, like I take my car in the morning, I drive two, three guys into work, let them do their thing. And then I drive them back, you know, and like, I've been, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to just be super safe about everything. And, uh, but we still have a restaurant to run and like, we're, we're doing takeout and delivery, but I, I see my business, uh, change because people want to eat, uh, people need to eat out. 
it's not, the times are, are different now. And we started selling frozen dumplings and it's been taking off like wildfire. And, um, you know, I think next week or in the next two weeks, we're going to start doing like frozen dumpling delivery. And you know what? I'm going to use technology to the best of my, the best that I can capture all the sales electronically. And I'm just going to drive my car and go drop off dumplings and, and figure out how to do that because I still need to, to, to make money. I still need to, you know, I still have a mortgage to pay. I've got all these things I got to do. And uh, I, I see some bright, bright side out of this, you know, and like, you know, the restaurant has stopped, but we're all trying to figure out ways to like still keep, keep, keep people employed and uh, keep the business going. What's been the hardest part about all of this? Um, probably seeing the business like this. This is, this is tough to walk into every day. Um, chairs up, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, you know, you have to, um, cancel your linen service. All right. My name is Bruce Botchman. I'm the CEO of White Plains Linen. I've been working at that, the business for 47 years. Uh, it's been a family three generation family business. My grandfather started the business and uh, I brought it to a level where we employ now, employed, I should say, past tense, uh, 550 people. As of today, we're down to 25 people. I spoke with Bruce on April 11th of 2020. At the height of business, White Plains Linen was servicing 2,100 restaurants in the city and surrounding areas, processing 850,000 pounds of laundry. We're talking tablecloths, aprons, staff outfits. A world of business most people don't even consider when they dine out. That 850,000 pounds of laundry was down to 20,000 when we spoke. It's emotionally draining. I come home, you know, I go in for a couple hours every day just to oversee the little bit that's going on. And it's very stressful. I haven't slept right in weeks. Uh, I wake up with bad dreams about restaurants. Uh, and I, I, it's very discouraging the fact that I've, I've known a lot of these people for 20, 30 years that have been loyal employees. And I can't help them. We, you know, we get, we, we have a union shop, 500 of the people are in the union. We have guaranteed their health care for the next 90 days. Uh, hopefully things will change in the next 90 days. It's very scary because I mean, my whole life, this is what I've done. I built something that was, was profitable and, uh, we built it to the point where we're the largest linen supplier in the metropolitan area. And the future is not very clear. It's, it's, it's incredible how much money runs through these restaurants and how many other, you know, the flack of them going down goes and hits so many other industries. 100%. I work with chefs and restaurants. Mimi Edelman runs I and Me Farm on Long Island. It's a small farm that, as she said, solely works with a handful of high-end restaurants, which means no restaurants, no business. We spoke on April 18th, 2020. What I've 
realized since this coronavirus fog set in is that I don't have a place for my product. I find myself in a place where I need to reinvent myself. All of my restaurants are closed. And many of the restaurants that I've worked with provide an elevated culinary experience. So their menus would have to be redesigned and they would have to, and I feel this as a farmer, let go of their product. <laughs> Once it's prepared in the kitchen, then you have to surrender your product to be carried home. And if you like to have your guest enjoy the meal at its pinnacle of freshness with its texture and its aroma and its warmth, it's not going to have the same impact. So these elevated dining experiences don't always translate into a takeout takeaway. Every day now I'm talking to farmers or vendors or just people that are connected to what we do and everybody is on the verge of tears panicking. You know, nobody knows what to do. What Eric Korn chose to do was pretty amazing. The chef had run pop-ups and catered weddings. Neither was happening anytime soon when we spoke on March 30th, 2020. So Eric partnered with others in the hospitality industry to start the Million Gallons Challenge. We saw that all of these restaurants were going to be letting go of their people, that they just, there's no, no way around it. And knowing that many of these people are undocumented and also knowing that so many people were going to be overwhelming unemployment and tough to get these, these social services that, you know, and just knowing the people that I've worked with, you know, the, the, the cooks and the servers and stuff, a lot of them work paycheck to paycheck. And if that's gone, what's the most basic thing that they, you know, that we can help with and it's food. And when these situations arise, like Hurricane Sandy or 9-11, the chefs in the restaurant industry always run in and cook for people. And I early on felt like this was going to be one of those situations. And how can we go in and cook? You know, what can we do? And, you know, as a cook, the first thing you're trained is don't waste your stuff. Go make something out of it. And whether it's pickles or soup or whatever, and soup made a lot of sense. And um, and soups also got that grandma's made it nourishing. You've got a cold kind of thing, which, you know, the world needs right now. And logistics, logistically to move it and to boil it and to keep it safe, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that way, too. So we've always had sort of the market in our name and we've got these large spaces. I spoke with Hill Country Barbecue Market founder Mark Glosserman on May 8th, 2020. He turned his Flatiron Manhattan location into, well, a market. You know, when we closed, we had all of this inventory. We had food inventory, we had paper inventory, um, and it was either going to go to waste or we were going to donate it. And so um, I think uh, one of our chefs suggested, you know, maybe we'll just, we can see if we, you know, we can sell some of this produce, whether it was onions or, you know, boxes of sugar, rolls of toilet paper and paper towels. And so we, we, we pulled tables and chairs out of our dining room. Um, we made table displays. We set up makeshift shelves. And we kind of set up a market um, in the middle of the restaurant. And 
uh, decided that we were going to sell groceries, we we're going to sell beer, we we're going to sell liquor. I mean, really anything that we um, that we could uh, to to say, look, we, you know, if someone's coming in and um, <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, people were concerned they were going to run out of toilet paper. I mean, if, you know, at the beginning of this thing. And uh, so we'd have, you know, guests who would be coming in and they'd, they'd uh, you know, take a sack of potatoes or, you know, some rolls of toilet paper or a few limes. Um, and so we got into kind of the grocery thing. Uh, that was sort of like the first kind of natural, I guess, step, step for us. Like, you know, what else, what else do we have that we can sell? How can we better utilize the physical space in the restaurants to, you know, merchandise some of these items? So many pandemic pivots were about meeting demands, meeting people where they were, which meant technology would have to play an outsized role. When I spoke with Christian Petroni on May 12th of 2020, he was a partner in and the executive chef of five Fortina restaurants, stretching from Brooklyn into Westchester and even Connecticut. Christian was Mr. Pivot. He outlined safety measures early and clearly on social media. He introduced meal kits and went online to show people how to make them. He used technology to interact with his customers in ways he could no longer do in real life. If you think that you're not going to change or that when this is over, you're going to go back to doing things the way you used to. That was the thing that scared me at the beginning of this is I saw so many, like right when this was hitting, boom, 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 in, in mid-March, I saw so many restaurateurs and chefs who were kind of digging in their heels, like wanting to just cling to the way things were done before. And I'm going, uh, no, that's a suicide mission. Nah, man. It, and listen, I can't say I like it. Like, this is the worst, right? But like, you know, there's excitement in restructuring and there's excitement in evolution. Like I said, there's excitement in, in, in if you can, if you can spin it, right? It's all the, the old lemons into lemonade kind of situation, really. Um, you got a friggin' hustle, right? The strong survive. I'm scrappy. You know, uh, I'm a hustler. I, I come from the Bronx. I always, you know, did whatever I had. You know, in, in a respectful way, always hustled and worked hard to, to get what I wanted. So um, I'm not going to let this ruin all you know, 30 some God knows how many, 20 something years of hard work. I'm not, 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 not an option for me. Right. So, yeah, I'm still digging in my heels, but in a different way. These pivots were less about innovation and more about survival. Businesses were on the line. Lives were on the line. What this industry was going to look like on the other side of this, no one seemed to know. It just feels like it's like the countdown to closing. And that's, that's the hard part. You just don't really know where you're going to be in a couple of weeks. You know, if it's not COVID, it's going to be something else. This is the world we live in. You know, we've done so much damage to our earth, you know, and like stuff like this, I think is going to be our new normal. It's sad because 
there's so much life in restaurants, right? And restaurants, when you think of restaurants, we are there for joy. And that's really it. There's really no other reason for restaurants to exist except for joy. When it's not there anymore, you know, it's going to be a really scary thing. It's going to be a really scary world when we come out of this. And my thanks to Allison Buckingham of Paralandra Natural Foods, Dale Taldi of Goose Feather Restaurant, Andy Nusser of Casa Mono, Joanna Prisco of the Good Witch Coffee Bar, Wilson Tang of Namwa Tea Parlor, Sheena Garcia of Mariachi Mexico, Bruce Botchman of White Plains Linen, Mimi Edelman of I and Me Farm, Eric Horn of the Million Gallons Challenge, Christian Petroni, formerly of Fortina Restaurants, and Mark Glosserman of Hill Country Barbecue Market, all for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, over a, a span of months in, in 2020. Obviously, this has been a, a big undertaking, this this documentary podcast, which isn't even the main project. The main project is an actual visual documentary that I, I have been working on with a group of former restaurant hunter uh, staffers uh, as myself and Grant Thonak and Carl Fernandez and Christian McLaren and Pete Fiorillo. And we have something big to announce with that portion of it, the main portion of it. Uh, not exactly ready to announce yet, but it's coming. It's coming. So make sure to follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Rob Patron TV. Um, I will let everybody know when I can let everybody know, but there, there's something big coming with that, and I, I'm really excited to share that. Um, obviously, this has been a, a challenging project, um, not nearly as challenging as the challenges that you just heard um, all these these small business owners um, and, and restaurant industry people are, are going through. Um, the, the hardest thing about this whole thing has been um, the fact that it, in terms of a storytelling subject, it, it's a moving target. Uh, you can even hear it in there. It, you know, And so I know last time I, I did one of these, I had a follow-up interview to kind of take us into the present, and I did that with Helen Rosner. If you haven't heard episode one uh, of 86, Ground Zero, you, know, you should go back and listen to it. But um, – it was easier to go back and look at the ground zero. This this idea of adapt and pivot and the struggles people are going through um, as they have to figure out how to adapt and pivot, it, it just keeps changing. I mean, because we, you know, we keep learning more and more about COVID and with vaccines now, and it does feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, something that I could record with somebody you know, a week ago can feel dated a week later. It just, it's moving so fast. That's been the hardest challenge with all this, which is why this project actually had a hard out. Um, we took it till basically the opening of indoor dining, the reopening of indoor dining in New York City um, in 2020, because it's a story that doesn't seem to have an end. Um, and it's going to be going on for a while. So um, that's been the hardest thing. It's a, it's a moving target. Um, this story just keeps changing. It just keeps evolving. And I think everybody's perspective on it keeps changing and evolving. And that's what makes this such a fascinating thing to listen back to these time capsules, because some things we listen to them and they just, they, even though it wasn't that long ago, it, it feels so long ago because of things that we learn and we know. But if you found what you heard today to be interesting, to be something that, that captivated you, that made you feel something just do me a favor, please go and, and rate the show if you're on Apple Podcasts. 
five stars, of course. Um, leave a comment as well. That's how we gain traction with hot takes on a plate. And also, please share it with your social media connections, with your friends. Let people know that it exists. And if you haven't already, subscribe so that way you never miss, miss an episode. Um, you know, I know this this episode was a little bit of a downer, but our regular episodes, our non-documentary episodes, the ones that aren't 86, you know, we can have a lot of fun on here as well. So make sure to subscribe as well. And please remember that Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com. Until next time, I'm Rob Patron. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.